With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Otis Taylor Jr., the Chronicles Metro columnist in Oakland and the East Bay, who has done a tremendous job covering race relations in the Bay Area. During our conversation, we discussed sports writing at a time of civil unrest, why teams are so afraid to say anything of substance about racism in America, and how a tweet about all lives mattering cost a local sportscaster his job. Otis, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I know you were probably a little bit surprised when I hit you up earlier. <laughs> asked you to come on Warriors Off Court, a podcast about the Golden State Warriors. You're the Metro columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. You cover Oakland and the East Bay. You do a phenomenal job for us, but I know that sports are not necessarily your, uh, your go-to beat by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I figured that given everything going on, in the country right now that you would be a phenomenal person to have on because you have had a couple of really good pieces recently just about uh, the George Floyd situation, the protests, systematic, mm. systematic racism in America. And, you know, all of this really comes to a head in a lot of ways with sports as well. As we know, sports are kind of the, the intersection of society. Um, it's, it's a microcosm of society and, there's a lot of athletes, a lot of teams addressing this right now, as they should be. Um, you you actually have a little bit of history in sports. What, what is your background in sports? Sure, sure. Um, after I graduated from Clemson University, I was, you know, playing in the band, just goofing around, uh, waiting for my girlfriend to graduate. And I remember I was working in this pizza restaurant. I was like delivery, and I worked the register. And this guy came in, and he had, like, this real cool-looking T-shirt. It was Built to Spill, if anyone knows that indie rock band out of uh, Washington, I believe. Or is it Idaho? Anywhere. The Midwest, Northwest. And and we start talking, and he's like, oh, well, I'm a photographer um, for this local newspaper. And I was like, oh, yeah, I just graduated. I worked for the Tiger. That was a student newspaper. He's like, oh, are you Otis? And I was like, yes. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. We just had a conversation. We exchanged numbers. I didn't think anything of it. The next time I was working, I got a call, and it was the sports editor, a man named Dan Scott, who I still keep in touch with. Um, he called me, and he was like, do you want to come for an interview? Man, Connor, I put on a clip-on tie. I didn't even think <laughs> anything of it. And, um, you know, I went there, and they offered me the job that night. I had never written sports before, but I grew up as a baseball player. Um, I like to play basketball still as I get older, and um, I – was uh, uh, I used to enjoy the NFL pre-Kaepernick, um, but yes, I'm a sports fan through and through. And I, and actually, I'd like to let you know that um, I won a bet this year with uh, Joe Eskenazi, uh, a San Francisco writer. I predicted that the Warriors would not make the playoffs, and of course, <laughs> did you predict said, that Steph was going to get injured? You, you saw that coming? 
I didn't I didn't see he was going to get injured, but I knew that this team would have a tough year, especially with Clay out. And I thought Steph would get taxed trying to carry the load himself. Um, I also predicted, and this was in the pages of the Chronicle, the first time I had been in the sports page in like almost 20 years, I predicted that the uh, the Raptors were going to sweep the Warriors. In, in jest, in jest, but man, I got I piled. Remember that. I got piled on. But, I mean, I was close to right. I mean, they could have won all four games, right? I mean, they won the series, so you don't look like a, a total idiot. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people had the Warriors sweeping that series, even though they were dealing with a lot at that time. Um, uh, you know, I, if you had told me uh, before the season that the Warriors would, weren't going to make the playoffs, I actually would have said that was super prudent of you because I kind of oh. felt like I saw that coming as well. Um, people were talking about them still contending, but – you know, for the same reason you just mentioned, I felt like it was way too much to put on Steph Curry's shoulders. Um, one little thing goes wrong in the entire season, you know, it implodes on itself, which is exactly what happened. So, um, very a very unusual season in Warriors <laughs> land, but, uh, you know, it's even more unusual now because we don't know if they're going to play again. They probably are not. Um, but there's... Mm. Plenty going on in the world to to keep our minds occupied. That's that's an understatement. Um, as a former sports writer, as someone who uh, you know is covering everything going on in the world right now, I'm curious if you have any advice for me because I've been struggling the past few days just with what of how to approach this because you know I'm not sure that um, I'm in a position to lend a ton new to the conversation and I don't feel like, you know, I've sought out different uh, story topics that are related to the Warriors. You know, Stephen Jackson, the former Warrior, was friends with George Floyd. I've been trying to get in touch with him. I'm trying to do a piece on him. I'm trying to do Mm -hmm. different things like that, but you know how it is as a reporter, people aren't getting back to me. And so I still have, I still have to write. And so I'm writing, I find myself writing about things that don't necessarily matter. You know, I wrote something about how Michael Jordan practiced with the Warriors in the mid '90s. Uh, you know, <laughs> things like that, um, and I almost feel uh, silly doing it because I know it doesn't matter, and I know that no one cares right now, and they shouldn't. Um, what do you, What would you do in my situation right now? Oh, that's that's an interesting question, Connor, and I I have to commend you on your writing. Um, going back to the Warriors season, you have, as far as sports writers go, um, I, you know, being a being a former sports writer and still reading a lot of sports copy, um, sports writers typically go overboard. You know, it's almost like they become part of the team um, in a way. Fan and boy. I really like how clear-eyed you are um, with you know everything from injuries, like last year's finals, like your reporting was just straight like this is what's happening and i really appreciated that because as you know warriors fans around here like they'll come after you if you say anything bad about them which is um, which is their prerogative um as for right now i really like that you're trying to get stephen jackson i think it's really important that we don't discount um sports figures because as you know in the bay area Steph Curry, but if you look at someone like, say, LeBron James, shoot, Michael Jordan, his documentary was a cultural event that hasn't been seen before as far as sports documentaries. Um, But 
always, always, just like Michael Jordan said about Scottie Pippen, him sitting out for that final play when Tony Kukoc hit that uh, game-winning shot in 94, um, Michael Jordan said that's going to like, – it's going to follow Pippen around for the rest of his life, you know, refusing to go in the game, quitting on your teammates essentially. What is going to follow Michael Jordan is around is that he has never really forcefully – stood up and or actually yes yeah, stood up taking a stand on issues of race in this country i really have look i understand he does what he does but he has an impact his words carry they they will they will cascade through the sports world and outside of the sports world and I really, I'm really in favor of a time like now when sports figures are home, you know, maybe they're practicing, maybe they're lifting weights, um, but they have time to think. And we cannot act as if um, these men and women don't have something to say about race. I mean, that is, we are talking about professional sports, which had to be integrated. Like, that was a major yeah. societal issue at one point in this country's history. So why wouldn't it be uh, – why wouldn't we look to ask sports, sports figures, ex especially those who acknowledge the platform they have, like Steph Curry, like a Steven Jackson, like a LeBron James, who acknowledge the platform that they have and who choose to speak out? Um, I got to say, Connor, um, you know, George Floyd is the black man who – died in Minneapolis on Memorial Day when a police officer kept his knee on his neck for eight minutes. With his hand and, in his pocket. So that yeah. was Yeah, it's just he was so comfortable while he sat there. George Floyd died. I the first thing I thought about hearing him tell the officer that he couldn't breathe was Eric Garner's death almost six years before, when he was telling an officer who had him in a chokehold that he couldn't breathe. I remember I was so enthused by the NBA players who bucked, you know, the NBA at that time and wore I can't breathe when they were in warm-ups. That, to me, was so powerful, and that actually spoke more than, you know, the comments after the games or before games. That was a movement that – I hadn't seen in professional sports, at least to that degree where multiple teams are wearing the T-shirt. Why wouldn't we want to hear what they want to say? Because it impacts them. It impacts their lives. I mean, sorry to go on, but, Connor, we're talking about uh, just a couple years ago, an NBA player, Sterling Brown, was detained by police right. in Milwaukee. That is – that is part of what people are protesting now is that the systemic racism, say systemic racism, the systemic oppression, and I think that applies to NBA players. I have never understood why uh, conservative commentators just want players to shut up and dribble, as Laura Ingraham said. Yeah, and you did a you did a really good job of I think explaining systemic racism in in the column you wrote yesterday and. No, to me, the definition of great writing is when a writer is able to take what everyone's feeling and actually put it into words. Because there were a lot of times over the past week or so where I was feeling things, but I didn't really know how to articulate them. And um, you, the, the paragraph that really resonated with me was you wrote, white people have been socialized to abhor and fear blackness and to view, and to view racism as an individual prejudice and not a systematic constraint. 
Yeah, 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 man. I really understood that um, on a deep level um, because I'm from I'm from an upper middle class neighborhood outside of Portland, Oregon. Um, I grew up going to private school my whole life. Um, there was not a single black kid in my grade from kindergarten through eighth grade. Wow. Um, my first black friend was in high school. Um, you know, I, I just wasn't exposed to that growing up. And, you know, when you're young and you're in that environment, you, um, you know, your, your parents and your teachers try to do their part to, you know, make you well-rounded and make you appreciate other cultures. And I remember in elementary school, you know, when you're first talking about racism and you're you're talking about, it's always, you know, the 1960s, the civil rights movement, talking about Martin Luther King. I, I have a dream speech and, um, what I'm realizing now as I get older is that by that being my first and really only uh, context for the African-American experience for a lot of my adolescence, mentally I went to a place where I thought that's in the past. That is uh, something really bad that happened that, uh, you know, was, was, was a really more of a, you know, part of the era than anything. And I think I didn't fully understand until I got older, you know, how everything that happened back then still resonates today and why mm-hmm. it still resonates today. And I, I think, you know, I even in college, I, I minored in sociology and all these things. And I still feel like I'm just now starting to to understand um, what you wrote about in that paragraph, because I do think um a lot of white people still look at racism as individual prejudice. Um, they don't look at it as anything bigger than, you know, those individual bigots who say bad things to black people. Um, they don't see it as a systematic issue in America. Um, and uh, so that I found myself rereading that, that paragraph several times just because, um, because I think it, I think it's so true just in terms of my experience and, and, you know, what, uh, a lot of my friends still believe to this day. And it's unfortunate. It's what, and I think it's really, that is at the core in a lot of ways, what needs to change. Oh, I agree. I agree wholly with you, Connor. And, you know, I had a similar upbringing to you. I, I was on the black bus that was you know, bust, you know, out of our black city to a white city and we go to a white private school and, you know, we come literally on the black bus. That was my experience. But it was also, um, you know, my parents had the goal that, hey, we are going to, you know, instead of buying a house, we're going to send our children to a private school so they can, you know, get into college and then go on to be whatever they want to be. Um, neither of my parents graduated from college. Uh, I think my mom finished the semester before she got married to my father. Um, it is, I, I think there just is a lack of understanding of others in this country. And I know that to be true here as well. And the Bay Area is always considered as this progressive mecca where it doesn't matter who you are, people love you. And yes, we have had moments um, 
in the Bay Area's history. But all I have to do is look into my inbox. And what time is it now? It's 7.37 on Tuesday evening. Uh, this is the email that just came up. Uh, also, I'm not interested in hearing about liberal guilt and white privilege. First, I feel no guilt as regards black people, nor should I. Uh, I should edit that for them. Neither I nor my ancestors have done anything, to my knowledge, to oppress anyone. And here's the kicker. Sure, it's easier being white than black in America, but it's also easier being tall than short. Like, what does that have to do with yeah. that? That is how people um, uh, who disagree with me, and that's fine. Uh, let's have a conversation. That's how people are rationalizing me saying that racism exists. It is. In, it in is the, they don't. The, the thing is that to me is what racism in America and a lot of forms looks like i know they wouldn't they wouldn't look at it as racism um they might not actively want you know black people to get hurt uh but white privilege and that whole view can be very closely linked to racism and i don't think a lot of white people understand the correlation and understand um you know how these things are related and uh that's really what I hope comes from all this. I hope we can have these kind of conversations. And, and it, because, you know, people who grew up in a predominantly white environment um, and, and you know, had the privileges they were afforded, doesn't make them bad people necessarily that they view things in, in a certain way, but they do owe it to themselves as people to educate themselves and to try to strive to learn at all times. So that's just what I hope happens from, from all this. I, I hope so too, Connor, but I, I really think um, that it's incumbent on our elected officials, um, particularly at the federal level, to – I don't want to say force because that sounds like I'm, I'm doing something against someone's will, but I, I think it needs to be – part of every you know policy decision um it can't it can't be ignored um any longer and you know what the way things are going right now it's it's that that narrative um we're seeing these protests in the streets and that narrative is uh becoming prominent that you know the protesters are thugs and they're only about this destruction and that is not the case all you have to do is go out there on the street and see that. Um, yes, there are some bad actors. There are some people who um, vandalize places. Um, and, yes, there is some looting. But that that cannot take away from, from the reason that people of all races are in the streets, and that's because of the systemic oppression in our society. And I think you're right. People don't realize their privilege, and they don't realize how they're taking advantage of a system that disenfranchises uh, people of color. And uh, that happens all too often, and I want to be part of the bridge to that discussion. To It's okay. Like, it's okay if you've never talked about this, but I'm going to speak frankly to you. And if you'd like to send me an email, I like to have discussions with readers, but just don't come at me telling me, like that person did, that, you know, being white is better than being black, and so is being tall and short. Like, that does nothing for me. We'll have more of my conversation with Otis Taylor Jr. right after the break. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One thing that has really bothered me uh, during all this is, you know, sports teams at every level, college, professional, what have you, have been releasing statements um, in response to Floyd <laughs> yeah. protests and everything. And um, I've just been really struck by how vague they've been. And just to be candid here, how like downright cowardly <laughs> a lot yep. of them have been. Um, I actually went through and tabulated all of the um, all of the NBA releases that have been released. And uh, for my last count, of the 30 NBA teams, 28 teams have uh, put out a release. The only two who haven't are the Spurs and the Knicks. Uh, Greg, Greg Popovich put out a lengthy statement, so maybe the Spurs look at that as their statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, they basically said that they're not going to be putting out a statement because they don't think they're qualified, which is ridiculous. Um, and the uh, But of the 28 teams that have put out a release, only three have actually used the words uh, police brutality. And the, a good number actually haven't even used the word racism. Wow. Um, and, you know, there was kind of an absurd one the other day from the Mavericks that, you know, tried to like compare it to a basketball team and we're going to rebound from this together. And it didn't really say what they were rebounding from. Uh, and uh. <laughs> uh, it was brutal. And, um, I guess my thought is, you know, if you're going to put out that soft of a release, I put out anything at all. But also, and I wanted to ask you this, like, what are people afraid of? Like, are they afraid of scaring or, or, you know, scaring some of their fan base or alienating people? I mean, are they really afraid of the word police brutality? Is that... Is that not something that should be in our lexicon at this at this point? Wow, wow. And see, all right, so here here I've been thinking about that um a lot here lately. Why are people so afraid of talking about race or mentioning race? It's because people don't have the vocabulary or the education to approach it. And they are afraid, and I'm saying they, I mean, obviously, we're talking about NBA teams, so we're talking about white ownership groups. They are afraid that if they say the wrong thing, they're going to be dragged. And what's actually happening is they're being dragged for coming out with these soft statements or these statements that don't make sense. To me, in the NBA, just follow what Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich are doing. They are speaking from their hearts. And it actually pains them what's happening in this country and how this country is being led right now by our current administration. I, you know, I, I haven't been keeping track like you of, of the statements, but I have been aware as a suffering Knicks fan 
that yeah exactly i know i know i i i have been aware of their statements or lack of statements i mean this is an organization that put out like banned one of their all-time greats charles oakley from attending games because he had some words for james dolan i really feel like a person like him um they are so how do i say they don't have the thick skin that they would like to present. And um, any type of criticism, um, they want to mollify. And I think, you know, these NBA teams, uh, for instance, uh, San Francisco 49ers put out a weak uh, attempt at the blackout. Um, it's just not genuine, Connor. It's not yeah. It's not with any feeling. It's done. It's written by a group of people and it goes through another group of people and they want to sanitize it just so they can say it. I liken it to what our politicians say on MLK Day. You know, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here. We're honoring his legacy. You're not honoring his legacy if racism is still pervasive in our society. And when I say pervasive, I mean from our judicial system, our criminal justice system, to our politics, to housing, it impacts everything that we see around us. And so I just think that we in this country have gotten used to doing the bare minimum. It's kind of like schools, like like you were saying, Black History Month. Yeah, when I was in um, that private school in New Jersey, yeah, we talked about Black History Month, but it was a day of Black History Month facts. Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, civil rights movement, everything is fine. It's never been fine. And that's that's what's coming to a head right now. And when you're saying why people, what are they scared of? I think they're scared that they're really going to have to address it and then look at themselves. How have they contributed, and how have, you know, their how has their privilege um, impacted someone else's life? And but that's where it's going. I don't think I, I think what people don't understand about these protests that we're seeing is that people have reached the boiling point. And so if you talk to, for instance, in Oakland, um, Saturday night, I spent the night with black business owners who were uh, who had their windows broken and, and some were looted during the previous night's protests. And I couldn't find one business owner who was like, I don't understand this. Why are they doing this? It was all I understand because they are living black in America. And that's this is this is a reflection of years centuries of oppression that is bubbling up right now and i think it's going going to be hard to recontain yeah and to me it, it it reinforces just how important good leadership is um i and this might be hard to hear as a as a Knicks fan but oh, i man. honestly think that there is a correlation between the fact that the Knicks are one of two teams that hasn't put out any sort of response and has no plan to and the fact that they're considered probably the most inept franchise in the NBA and they can't lure any free agents to New York City mm-hmm. of all places and no one wants to play for them and um, they're kind of a joke of a franchise. I, yep. I think all of these things are related. Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at the Warriors, for example, when did they start to turn things around? They started mm-hmm. to turn things around when they were bought by Joe Lacob and a very – competent group of owners who um, understood how to run a successful company. And that eventually trickled down to 
the, the floor in the play. Now, it helps that they already had a guy named Steph Curry on the roster. <laughs> yeah. But they did a bunch of things to uh, make them not only, you know, a, a dynastic roster, but, you know, a, a, a team that franchises throughout the sports world emulate. Um, so um, we all just, we just need good leadership right now, which is, is it's so – you know, frustrating that our president is who he is, and we probably shouldn't. We don't need to get too much into that. But um, no, you're right. You're right. Just think about um, newsrooms. Like, if you didn't have someone who was there to answer questions and who had the knowledge to answer the questions and who could be honest with themselves and the people they employ, that's the same thing with basketball coaches. I'm going back to the Scottie Pippen example, um, but in that documentary, Phil Jackson was so sure. He was like, I knew Tony could hit it. And guess what? Tony Kukoc hit that shot, whatever you think about his playmaking. But um, I just think it's also about responsibility. Um, Kerr is very good about that, taking responsibility. I, I think I learned a lot more about him this season, the lumps that they've taken, and how he's approached it and how he's answered questions. He hasn't shied away as far as I've seen. Um, that takes, you know, a self-awareness that a lot of folks just don't want to access. They just rather be, this is how the world is, this is how I learned how it is, and I don't want to hear anything different because, you know, that takes too much effort to actually try to understand someone else's perspective and also someone else's circumstances yeah you learn about a person's character when times are tough uh it's easy to be a good person when everything's gravy but uh when <laughs> true things are tough is when you is when you learn about that individual um one thing that happened the past couple of days that i've been following um and i think aligns with everything we've been talking about was uh grant napier who was Long-time mm. TV voice for the Sacramento Kings. He was with them for over 30 years, kind of an institution mm. in the Sacramento area. Um, anyone who follows the Kings or has, a, you know, an awareness of them knows that he has a long-standing feud with DeMarcus Cousins. Um, yep. When DeMarcus was with the Kings, they went at it uh, over Twitter and over the radio and, and things like that uh, several times, and. A lot of the things that Grant said about DeMarcus, I felt had some racial undertones. He, he, I believe there were times where he called him a thug or, or you know, uh, things that could be interpreted in a racial way. Um, and um, I know DeMarcus a bit from his time with the Warriors, and he's a guy who does not forget. Um, he... Uh, Clay Travis, when, when DeMarcus was with Kentucky, Clay Travis tweeted, in five years, DeMarcus Cousins will be locked up and in prison. And um, on the five-year anniversary of that tweet, DeMarcus Cousins quote tweeted and said, still not in prison. Um, that was epic. That was Yes. Epic. So that just shows you what level DeMarcus is at. And um, so he has no love lost for, for Grant Napier. And he knew he knows what Grant's about, and he knew how Grant was going to handle this. And so, uh, Demarcus tweeted at him a couple of days ago and said, "What? Just a simple question. What do you think of Black Lives Matter?" Mm-hmm. And it was ultimate bait, um, re- a really easy thing to avoid. Re- yeah. A really thing he could have Grant could have seen that in his mentions. 
and just kept going with throughout his day and not acknowledged it. No one would have cared or noticed. Um, but he actually responded and, uh, you know, he, he tweeted in all caps, you know, all lives matter, uh, every single one, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And obviously he got a ton of backlash for this. Um, and then he actually went back and doubled, doubled and tripled down on it and explained, you know, my father taught me at a young age to not see race and to, you know, that, uh, you know, we, we're all equals and that is not what people wanted to hear. And he was actually uh, let go today by both mm -hmm. the radio station and TV station that he works for um, because of those comments. Um, following that, I know you followed that a little bit. What, what did you think of that entire situation? Uh, well, I, for, for him, I, I thought it was – okay, that franchise has had some problems. That scandal a couple of years ago with the money, that was crazy. Um, this this just seemed to be um, – like what you said, there was debate, but it seemed like to me as an observer, as someone who works also works in media and who knows that everything I tweet, everything I write, could potentially be scrutinized, and I might have to explain. And for him to do that just showed this lack of awareness, but I also thought it was his opportunity to throw the middle finger up to the protests that are happening in Sacramento right now and in Oakland and in San Francisco and all across the uh, Bay Area. I felt that he knew what he was saying and also, as a member of the media, I feel that it is my duty to be informed um, before I speak on anything. And for him to say that just showed a lack of sensitivity. I mean, the, the purpose of saying Black Lives Matter is, is that um, all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter. And that's it's, it's simple. It's like it's it's simple. Black lives are the ones being lost. Yes, it's very <laughs> simple, here, man. It's it's. We're not saying black lives matter more than yours. We're just saying please make ours matter so that, you know, we can say all lives matter. And he did not. It just whiffed. But that's like uh, – I, I liken it to – and, of course, he didn't kill anybody, but it's very – it's synonymous to me to that officer listening to George Floyd saying, I can't breathe, and he didn't go back immediately to Eric Garner. Like how do you not have the recognition – as a person like Grant Napier, who's supposed to be knowledgeable, he has all this institutional knowledge. How had he not been prepared for that question, for that bait? And that's because our systems don't – we don't teach that that behavior is wrong and why it's wrong. And I think that's really important. It's not just enough to say, hey, you shouldn't say that all lives matter. We need to say this is why you shouldn't say it. Read this sheet, this one sheet here, and understand it. Think of it as like you know an advanced prep for your next game. Like read this and 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 process it. And I think that would would have helped. But again, we're talking about the NBA here, where they like to tiptoe around matters, and um, that's unfortunate because it's it's a really powerful organization and it really has a cross section of our society that is invested in the teams and in the sport. And I think 
the NBA could really lead us where the NFL and Major League Baseball and, you know, one of my first loves, hockey, have failed us. Yeah, I, I don't know Grant personally, so I'm not going to, you know, judge his character. Odds are he's not your classic bigoted guy, you know, but I do think that his comments speak to or the ultimate example to me of, of white privilege. Um yeah. Like, you can only say that all lives matter if you come from a place of privilege. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where there's, there is a correlation between sy- systemic racism in America and white privilege. And I do hope that someone like Grant Napier takes a step back and instead of blaming others for him getting fired, he actually looks himself in the mirror and says, I I did something wrong. I need to understand what, why I did it, what was wrong with my comments, and um, learn about the issue. Because um, I think a lot of people in his situation tend to just blame, you know, liberals and blame, you know, the public and don't actually take responsibility for what they what happened in their lives mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's also just i i think you know especially companies like pro sports teams that have the financial resources they should be able to connect with thought leaders that can come in and, and advise these teams and and have these conversations that maybe some within the organization find uncomfortable I, I think it would only enhance all of our lives, if you want to think about it that way, is if we finally had a, a understanding of what other people have experienced being alive in this country. And I don't think we've done that yet. Yeah, no, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, it's you, have you ever experienced anything like this? Just the the combination of the pandemic sheltering in place, everything going on. No, no. Race relations in America, I mean, it's just like, it just boggles the mind. It's one crisis on top of another. But, you know, what I think about as I'm, you know, racing from, uh, you know, trying to write and interviewing numerous people to trying to walk around um, with people um, in, in marches, it's that, you know, one crisis could have been averted, and you don't know which one I'm talking about, right? It's just like it, it's that's where we are right now. We are dealing with so much, and the problem is, it's like if we had just done so much more in advance, we would be in a much better off position. And um, yeah, it's just it's frightening. Um, I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm 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 terrified right now of what can happen to people who are exercising their rights by protesting police brutality in the streets. They could get hurt. Journalists are being hit with rubber bullets. I almost got hit. Uh, The guy next to me took the bullet to his thigh, but I had my back turned. We were right next to each other. Um, It's it's, it's really scary out there, but um, at the same time, Connor, I think this is a necessary movement because – People have tried to express themselves 
and it, we weren't listened to. Uh, you take Kaepernick, our, our colleague, and wrote a wonderful column. It's, you know, this knee you didn't like, but this other knee you didn't you liked, or you thought that was appropriate. And I think that says something about this country, where a black man kneels to protest police brutality and people get upset, but a cop kneels on a black man's neck. And where are you? Where is your rage right now? This is exactly what this man was talking about. Where is your rage? And that's what I'm trying to find out. Otis, um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, where can our where can our listeners find your stuff? I, I have a feeling they're going to want to be reading me or following <laughs> you on Twitter. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Otis R. Taylor Jr. And that's also my byline. And I'm also there on uh, Instagram, which I'm going to start using more often now because I want to show um, the beautiful portraits of people that I'm seeing. It's it's not. It's not at all the images that run on television. It's much more complex than that. But yeah, I'm I'm around, um, and I'll be. I'm I'm just like a lot of people. I wish sports will come back, but you know, I I don't want them to rush because I want us all to be safe. Our thanks to Otis Taylor Jr. for joining me on the podcast. I found his insights on race relations in America incredibly insightful, and I hope you did as well. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 